Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. We have to move the ball forward. That's one thing that Congressman Lewis taught us. Each generation has to pick up the mantle and move it a little farther. So just doing what we had before is not going to be enough. I'm willing to speak up. I'm willing to speak out and get into some good trouble to make it happen. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. So it's a great pleasure this morning to welcome to good company, Senator Nakima Williams, who is currently serving as the Georgia State Senator for District 39, which includes one of my favorite cities, Atlanta, Georgia. The Senator and I got to meet about a month ago, literally in a project that I'm very passionate about called Future Now, which is identifying those local elected officials, not necessarily national prominence, but local importance, state and local, and you were one of the people that was introduced. And I brought a few of my friends, as you know, together to chat with you and learn more about what you were doing and what your commitment was to the community as a state senator. And then the unfortunate and the horribly sad news of the passing of Congressman John Lewis, whose picture adorns your bookshelves behind you. And lo and behold, you're now gonna be representing, I am confident, that district in the United States Congress come the fall. So, and I'm going to add that, as you shared with me just before, this is the day you're officially kicking off that effort, number one. And it's also, why don't you tell us what anniversary it is? So uh, I get the number right, but it's an important anniversary. The 55th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. And so for today being my launch day for my campaign, being here with you, um, just and grounding myself in the legacy of Congressman John Lewis is at the core of everything that I believe in. And we, um, when we spoke a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, we talked about the voter suppression stuff happening here in Georgia. And it is just quite fitting that I'm able to launch my campaign for Congress today. Well, first of all, I want to say I won't be the first, but one of the first to say congratulations. And I will hopefully be one of the first to say, I'm going to do whatever I can. Senator, what I would love to talk about is the moment. You know, as we were chatting a bit before, I like to fancy long-range plans, five-year plans, three-year plans. One-month plans. Yeah, how about one-hour plans? (laughs) You know, and, and we're in a moment where things are moving so fast and so many of them are out of our direct control. And so we can't necessarily stop what's happening, but we have to do what a very, very successful chief executive officer, one of the most successful, in my mind, of this generation, Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft, he has an expression that I really like, which was, as he took control of Microsoft, uh, he said, we have to perform whilst we transform. It's the old expression, in the pit of the Indy 500, you talk about changing the tires while a car is moving. If there's ever a time where somebody in an elected office has to do that, it's now. We have to look at what's where we want to be, but we have to deal with the reality of where we are. I wouldn't even know where to begin if I looked at the to-do list for somebody like yourself. Today, 
And then the to-do list to the best you can anticipate it come November when you make your way or, you know, you'll be entitled to make your way to, uh, to Washington, D.C. as a member of the House of Representatives. What do you see on that to-do list every day? One of the, the things, I, I wear a number of hats, Michael, and I'm also the chairwoman of the Democratic Party of Georgia. And we have some bold and ambitious plans right here in Georgia. And, you know, we've been ground zero for voter suppression and the Republican antics on everything to push back against us moving forward um, for progress in our state. And looking at looking towards the future and at the here and now and making sure that voters are able to just simply cast their ballots in a safe and secure way. We are pushing back against attacks on vote by mail. Um, I, you might have heard that I contracted COVID-19 myself in the spring of this year by, from one of my colleagues down at the state capitol. And so I was the poster child for who needed to be able to vote by mail. In March, I was in bed sick for, for three weeks straight. And so as we negotiated with our Republican Secretary of State to get this right, to make sure that every Georgia voter who wanted to cast a vote could do so safely, we then simultaneously were having attacks at the legislature on counties being able to send out their vote by mail. So all of this is coming together um, at a point where I'm now looking towards my role as a new member of Congress come January on getting a voting rights passed, a, a new voting rights act passed in this country. We know that after Shelby v. Holder, the voting rights act was gutted and Georgia was one of those states that was under preclearance. And so many of the problems that we saw in our June 9th primary would have been prevented had it not been for the gutting of the Voting Rights Act. So I am on a mission to make sure that if my future colleagues don't get it done before I get there in January, that is at the forefront of the things that I'm gonna be focused on. And we can't just get back to where we were before the Supreme Court decision. We have to move the ball forward. That's one thing that Congressman Lewis taught us. Each generation has to pick up the mantle and move it a little further. So just doing what we had before is not gonna be enough. I think from what you've learned from me over the past month, I'm willing to speak up, I'm willing to speak out and get into some good trouble to make it happen. And we've, we've gotta get this right. It's inspiring to hear you say that because it's one thing for us to admire a problem. It's another thing for us to make it happen. And I always listen to old kind of sage advice that I got when I was a kid. Some of it is pretty good. And the one thing my grandmother taught me, and those who've listened to my podcast before have heard me say this because it's applicable to so many things. But my grandmother used to say, don't read people's lips, watch their feet. It's a great expression. And the other one she gave me, which was very, very important in terms of relationship, and I think it applies writ large to what we're doing today and what we're dealing with. She said, relationships have to go through four seasons for them to really be tried and true and you know pressure tested. Everyone's gonna have a spring, everyone's gonna have a summer, everyone's gonna have a winter and everyone's gonna have a fall. And we understand the, the symbolic nature of that, I think, the four seasons. You're gonna go through four seasons in, in four days. I mean, you're, and it's not without controversy. I, I was taking a look at an interview the other day and you know somebody was kind of taking a shot saying, well, gee, as chairman of the Democratic Party in Georgia, you are in the position now assuming Congressman Lewis's seat. And I watched that interview and I was very impressed with your answer. You didn't hide from it. You hit it head on and you answered the question intelligently and, and spiritually and emotionally as well. We're at a time 
where there is no forgiveness. We're at a time where second chances don't seem to apply in many places. And, you know, I think forgiveness, what is it? You know, cleanliness is close to godliness. So is forgiveness. We're in an unforgiving moment. How do we deal with that as, how do you deal with that as a leader? How do we deal with that as constituents? Because you will be in Washington. I'm confident of that. And I understand well from my own political background that whilst you'll be representing the district in Georgia, sitting in in the House of Representatives, you represent all of us. So um, one thing that you mentioned your grandmother and my grandma taught me, I was raised by my grandparents on a farm in rural Alabama. And my grandma taught me, if you stay ready, you'll be ready. And so for all of the people and all of the critics who feel like that this was um, a moment that I should not have taken for myself to make sure that I'm able to be the voice of the people of the fifth congressional district, I just happened to be the person that was ready at the right time. I welcome this opportunity. I'm honored to serve. And I am going to make sure that I'm earning the support of the voters in this district. I'll be on the ballot in November, Michael. There's a Republican running, so nothing is being given to me. I'm ready to fight for this position. I'm ready to fight to be the voice of this district. And when we look at this moment in time, we I know that our residents are across the country, not just in Georgia, deserve someone willing to fight for them. It's not enough to just be a good vote in Congress to go up to make sure that you, we have a majority of the Democrats um, leading in the House right now, but we need people willing to speak up and stand out for their constituents. And I often say that I'm willing to lead out loud and on purpose because we also need intentional leaders willing to center those most marginalized and make sure that all of those voices that feel unheard and unseen in our political process are uplifted. And that's what I intend to do when I go to Washington. Well, there was a very famous Jewish theologian named Hillel, and famously, and I'm certain I'm getting this right, but I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to go with it. I'm intentional, as you said. He said words to the effect, if not now, when, and if not me, who? I think that serves purpose right here. Just listening to you, you are the person, number one, and this is the time. Somebody's got to grab that mantle and, you know, I'm certainly happy that you have. Let me ask a question. Senator, we're at a time when the black community is particularly in the eye of the storm, is particularly at the top of our consciousness, and it needs to be, and it is a critically important time for all of us. I look at it through the lens of, I'm Jewish, and I grew up with a similar bit of advice that your grandmother gave you, which was, when you're Jewish, you have to stay ahead to keep up. And I've said this to friends of mine you know, in conversations and saying, look, growing up with that mentality, I can relate a bit more than maybe somebody else to the the plight of growing up black in America. And I get it. And there's such an identification between the two communities. And yet we're at a moment where, as you saw recently, there's been a spate of anti-Semitism that's, that's grown, you know, some fervor. And we look at it and we just say, this is a moment when all communities have to come together. All communities have to be there. There's a large Jewish population in, in Georgia and, and in Atlanta. Do you see the communities coming together or do you see us splintering? Uh, absolutely. I believe in building multiracial coalitions. We can't do this alone as one community, as the Black community, as the Jewish community, as the Latinx community. We must build multiracial communities to move our state and our country forward. And I look at just the way that my campaign is even set up. Um, Elaine Alexander, who calls herself my Jewish granny, 
is the co-chair of my campaign. And I think back on the time and organizing and doing social justice work with the oldest um, synagogue here in Atlanta, the temple. And I um, led a women's group on social justice movements on how to get more women at the temple involved in the legislative work that we're doing down at the Capitol in a very nonpartisan way, but how do we make sure that we're bringing communities together and um, was a part of a new series that was launched here in Atlanta just this past spring on um, around the beloved community and how we're bringing people together because the, the Jewish history in Atlanta, along with the Black history in Atlanta, um, we have the, the Black Jewish Coalition here where we've been working for decades and bringing people together to build multiracial communities in our political movements and our social justice movements and our business community. And we, um, I think that if other cities aren't doing this, they're getting it wrong. And we are willing to be the poster child. Atlanta can, um, has a saying that we're the city too busy to hate. And we really take that to heart. Senator, I'd love to focus for a moment on the craziness that was Georgia over the last couple of weeks on this so simple to anybody who's being logical issue of the pandemic and the moves that we have to take as citizens in the real world. You could never tell somebody that this would actually happen, that you'd have a governor suing a mayor and a city for telling the people to do what is in their best interests. And it's not controversial. You're in the middle of that in some fashion. You're a state senator. I mean, you have to you have to be dealing with that. So, Michael, growing up in the South, um, you can't say this, but I can. We always had a saying that you never want it to be worse than Alabama or Mississippi. I grew up in Alabama. <laughs> and so it was trending on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, even, hashtag even Alabama, because the governor of Alabama passed a mask mandate. And yet in Georgia, our governor was suing um, municipalities for enforcing a mask mandate. And then just yesterday, the state of Mississippi ordered, issued a statewide mask I mandate. I saw that. And so I we have that. Mississippi and Alabama and across the country like that. I mean, that is like the running joke where you never want to be below those two states. And here we are in Georgia where we are in court suing the mayor of Atlanta, a black woman who's been leading our city throughout this pandemic because we have not brilliantly, had statements. Brilliantly, I might add. From the outside looking in, I would say brilliantly and maintaining just the right tone and the right leadership. Well, you know. I will tell you, my mayor made me very proud. We, um, Congressman Lewis was lying in state at the state capitol and the governor was there and the mayor was there, um, a few legislators. And at the end of her remarks, she said um, that Congressman Lewis was proud of the leadership that she had shown throughout the pandemic. And she told the governor that she would see him in court and just know that she was getting into good trouble with John Lewis's blessings. So um, Brian Kemp should stay on ready because our mayor is ready and we're defending our rights um, for, I mean, just our Republicans talk about local control all the time. And here we have a governor who is suing a mayor for protecting her citizens, which we should all be doing right now. Senator, where do you think we will end up on this issue of the mail-in voting? I mean, you can look at this from both lenses. To me, the only lens that I can look at it, I can't look at this on both sides. There are many arguments. I was trained as a lawyer. I can look at arguments on both sides. That was my training. But this one's tough for me because the idea is to do everything we can to get people out to vote. What should we be doing as just citizens other than just, you know, paying attention and voting? 
I think right now what we're seeing is with so many people at home, so many people are on their computers, on their devices, on social media, is there is a lack of education around voting by mail. When you see the person in the highest office of this country spreading lies and trying to make it seem as if there's this, um, there is no empirical evidence of voter fraud in vote by mail, but we know that there is voter suppression going on in many states across this country. But what we can do is push back on this narrative. We can raise our voices in our own circle of influence. We all have a circle of influence that we can communicate with, um, whether that is through text, whether that is through Zoom meetings with your family because we're not meeting in person, but we have to do our part to combat all of the disinformation that is out there. there. And then making sure that people are showing up to vote. There are a lot of people who feel like this election is in the bag and that, well, no one in their right mind is gonna vote for this man again. Or in my case, I won't even start to talk about um, my opponent. I'll let you research her later. She was just <laughs> pardoned by Donald Trump um, and is a hardcore supporter of his. She ran a felony car theft ring here in um, Georgia. But there are things there. So there are people that will sit home because they feel like, well, this is it's going to happen anyway. And so we can't rest on our laurels. We have to make sure that we're being vigilant, that we are motivating people to turn out to vote and giving people a reason to vote. I don't ask people to just vote against my opponent. Vote for me because I am going to be your voice. I'm going to make sure that you have a voice in Congress, even if you're represented by someone who doesn't quite speak for you. When I get there, I'm bringing your voice and your issues with me. So vote for something, encourage other people to vote for something and use your circle of influence. That is the most critical thing people can do right now. I want to make sure that that message gets played and, and gets played often on this broadcast, on this, on this opportunity, because you stated in such an articulate fashion that which is at the core of everything. We do have the right. We do have the obligation to make change. That's what the franchise of voting is about. And, you know, I do subscribe to that view. You don't like it, then you have the right to change it. You don't like what's happening? Go pull that lever over there or, you know, mail that ballot in over there. I want to go to the core of the problem as we wind up in terms of time. As companies are looking to make the difference that they have to make, that we all have to make in how we are and how we need to be focused on diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And it's critically important. I want to just give you one example. Blackstone, the large private equity firm uh, based in New York, early in the, in the cycle came out with an, an article that talked about how they had recruited historically. And the trajectory normally, if you end up in private equity, you've worked as an analyst in a bank and you've probably gone to an Ivy League school. And before that, you probably went to a prep school. And before that, you probably went to a good nursery school. And before that, if you go through the cycle, and you go through the process of what it takes to get to the point where somebody like Blackstone would offer you a job in private equity, you realize that you've been filtered down to this. I mean, the, the pipe just keep, keeps getting smaller. What Blackstone said is, look, that's how we recruit. That's part of the problem. Because by the time those people get to our door, they, as I said, they've been filtered six ways from Sunday. And the only way we're ever going to change the cycle is to open up the recruiting doors and open our aperture in recruiting. And, and they realized it. And everybody's committed. Everybody that I speak to in the business community today isn't saying it in the normal way of just, I have to tick a box. They're actually, I'm sensing this is more real now. It's come to the fore and we're all ready to move and we all know we have to move. 
Yeah. So Michael, I look at this and, and it is not just like in the business recruiting world um, or in corporate America. Um, I was looking at just the history of where we are in this country. When I'm sworn into Congress in January, there will only have been 47 black women in the history of this nation that have been sworn into the United States Congress, only 47. And so this is a, a huge opportunity for me. And just looking at where we are in our country's history, I grew up on a farm in rural Alabama in a home that didn't have indoor plumbing or running water. And I'm not that old. And so for like to just look at what I've been able to accomplish by hard work. And like you said, your, your grandmother told you, you um, just to, what was the saying, Michael? You have to stay ahead to keep up. You have to stay ahead to keep up. I've always known that as a, a Black woman in this country that I've had to work twice as hard to get just as far. And so that is something that we are grappling with as we see, as we deal with the racial, racial tensions in this country. And I say all the time, people talk about the criminal justice department and how, and I, it pains me that that is the conversation, that is the only conversation we have with black voters. Because I often say that we, that is the floor. Staying alive should be the floor, but when do we get to the point where we can thrive? It's not just about survival. I want my people to be able to thrive. You just saw I have a five-year-old son. I'm raising a little black boy here in the, in the deep South, and I want him to be able to thrive. And so when do we get to the point that we're creating these opportunities across the board for all of us? And he's going to go to our neighborhood public school. It's an international baccalaureate school, but I know that all children don't have that same opportunity. And so when I, that's one of the things that I want to look at, how do we create equity across the board for all children in this country? So that when we're looking at these recruiting pipelines, we know that like people are saying, this is the way we recruit. Well, then how do we make sure that everyone is adequately adequately prepared for this? How do we make sure that those opportunities exist and that there are other little Nakimas out there that are growing up in abject poverty? I remember on a monthly basis going to the county seat. I grew up in Lee County, Alabama, and we had to go drive up from Smith Station to Opelika once a month. And that's when my grandmother, we got our monthly um, allotment of food stamps. And I remember this growing up as a child. And to think that I was able to come from those circumstances and move to Atlanta after college, and now I'm going to be a member of Congress, is unreal for me. And I want to create that pathway for so many other little Nakimas out there who never thought that this would be something that would be um, at my disposal. And that shouldn't stop it in just the political world. How do we make sure that that is happening in the business world, in the corporate world, and making sure that everybody has the opportunity to thrive and not just survive. In showbiz, I think I would call that a drop the mic moment because you nailed it. That is why you are in the position you're in. And you know, you said something earlier that also reminds me of a expression that I focus on. You know, I have a good friend who always says, people don't deserve things, people earn things. And you said that, I was listening carefully when you said that you've earned this opportunity and you have earned it. I can't tell you how honored I am to be able to have this conversation on such an important day, 55th anniversary of voting rights, and as well, the official day on August the 6th when you kick off your campaign. And I look forward to celebrating in November and again in January when you are a member of the United States House of Representatives. Senator Williams, I wanna thank you for taking this time. You're going to hear from me again, I promise. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm Michael Casson. 
Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich. 